Hi again, it's me, Nick Gogol. Wow, do we have some catching up to do. Oh, and welcome back to Radio Radio the Podcast. The podcast for people trapped on an island awaiting judgment by a vigilante boat thief. Allow me to explain. Maybe you should let me handle the recap this time. Uh, if you want. It's just that you have a tendency to ramble, and we're kind of on a ticking clock here. Okay, okay. If you think you can handle it, go ahead. <clears throat> Hi there, it's me, Monk. Welcome to Radio Radio the Podcast, the podcast for hitchhikers who get more than they bargain for, which I guess is pretty much all of them. Last week, while ferrying to an island where Nick thinks he may be able to find the person who left him a mysterious voicemail a few weeks ago, we were hijacked by an as-yet-unseen vigilante who we're calling the Captain. The Captain intended to use the ferry as a trap for several other passengers on board. Rear Admiral Hatch, the local Coast Guard, the writer Bobby Sobilay, the literary widow Marseille Marceau, the radio DJ Cyrus Ephraim, and the vaguely unsettling Nadia Moon. He wasn't planning on me and Nick being on board, though, and had us wait in the break while he decided what to do next. And we have our winner of last week's round of This American Two Truths, but one is a lie, so congratulations to Ronald Mercer. Great job, Ronald. You can collect your prize at the next convention. Does that about cover it? It's actually harder than I thought to boil it all down into a couple of sentences. Yeah, that just about covers it, but uh, you did leave out one very important piece of news. We made it to Splinter Cliffs Island. Mmm, that's the sound of me sipping a Mai Tai. Get used to it. Yeah, things looked bad for a little bit while we were down in the brig, but, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's weird that a ferry has a brig to begin with, but that is neither here nor there, and once we got the call to come up to the captain's quarters, uh, it was pretty much at that point that I thought we were done for. Uh, as it happens, though, my friend Monk here and I make a pretty good team. It helped that I know how to cry in command. You were very impressive. If you remember, at the end of last week's episode, the captain called us up to his quarters. But when we got to his room, there was nobody inside. Just a walkie-talkie on the dresser, and after a minute or two, he, uh, hailed us on that. He started asking us a lot of questions, and it seemed like maybe he was trying to figure out if he could pin some crime or misdemeanor, or even just a general naughtiness on us, probably so that he could feel justified moving forward with his plan, which was to kill us. Well, speaking for myself, he could probably pin most of those things on me. Definitely the naughtiness, and if you're curious about that, you can go back and listen to any other episode of this podcast and find something illegal, I assume. We're available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Nice plug. Anyways, I used to do a little acting on the side, so I knew I could turn on the weepies on and off whenever I wanted, and wow, did I really grovel for our lives. And it worked. Thank you, Monk. Genuinely, thank you. Well, for now at least. Like I said, we're on the island, and you bought us some time. Uh, in fact, he dropped everyone from the ferry off on the island. Rear Admiral Hatch, Nadia Moon, the whole group. Called it a stay of execution. We have a week until the ferry comes back again for its regular trip uh, to and from the mainland. And until then, we're just sort of trapped here. Mm, if this is trapped, then... Uh, yeah? Then I guess I like being trapped. Mm. There he is. The person I hate more than anyone on Earth. Cyrus Ephraim, radio DJ. I never met him before we set foot on that ferry. But I'm going to destroy him. He's here hunting for Blackbeard's treasure. Some say it's a myth. Some say it's a fantasy. Some say it's all too real in a monkey's paw-esque scenario. But whatever it takes, I'm going to get to that treasure before Cyrus Ephraim. And I'm going to make sure that if it's at all up to me, 
he never experiences a single moment of joy for the rest of his life. Hi, it's Monk, and I'm here with Radio Radio the Podcast. We're recording live from a tavern at a storytelling event, and Nick is presenting. He asked me to sit at a table with the recorder and so that we can put it on the show. Uh, anyway, he should be coming up any minute, so I'm just going to keep this going. Up next tonight for you here at the Splinter Cliff Short Form Story Spinner Potluck Dinner all the way from Chicago, Illinois, it's the former host of Good Morning Germanica, the current host of uh, a podcast. Please welcome to the stage, Nick Gogol. When people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I grew up in Chicago, but the truth is I moved around a lot when I was a kid. In fact, a lot of you might not know this, but I lived right here on Splinter Cliffs Island for about a year. We moved just before I started 8th grade. After the star-kissed tuna boom of the early 2000s, my parents had got it into their heads to become commercial fishermen and quickly invested our savings to help launch an enterprise poised to pioneer the market for canned brim, canned catfish, canned trout, and canned crawdads. Mom and Dad went in 25% with their partners, and crawdads were gonna be our specialty. And so just like that, just like that, we headed for the coast. Crawdads. They're a freshwater beast, so we weren't setting our sights on the ocean surrounding the island. Splinter Cliffs Island is well known in certain commercial fisher circles for having at its center an expansive marsh, so littered with the critters that over a series of decades they've managed to occupy every position on the spectrum, from visiting species, to non-native species, to invasive species, colonizing species, and now finally species everybody pretends was here the whole time and whose presence therefore is right and good. When we arrived on Splinter Cliffs Island all those years ago, none of the local economy revolved around crawdads. Commercial fishers who used to launch from Splinter Cliffs Island didn't trawl the marsh for crawdads. Local restaurants didn't specialize in shellfish. There was no underdog high school baseball team that traveled to the mainland with their mascot, the Splinter Cliffs Mountain Lobster. Clearly, we had our work cut out for us. There were no crawdad festivals. There were no crawdad jamborees. Tourists did not browse racks of novelty crawdad t-shirts and hats adorned with the slogan, I came to Splinter Cliffs Island and all I got was crawdads at this lousy hard rock cafe Nassau Bahamas t-shirt. My parents aimed to change all that from the ground up. I even did my part by wearing a special order Mountain Lobster's baseball jersey and matching claw-style cleats to school every day for the first month I was here. I imagine, you've guessed, that if I only lived on Splinter Cliffs Island for a year, that my parents probably didn't become the upstart disruptors in the blossoming canned seafood market, market like they'd planned. For a year we anxiously watched as our fortunes floundered in semi-shallow marsh waters, going home defeated, night after night, to nurse our claw-pinched fingertips only to wake up again the next day to fight another battle with the crawdad. 
but the crawdad would not go down quiet. For every small and victorious day when we'd take home a craw hall large enough to, for a homestyle boil pot of their succulent meat, the crawdads would exact their toll with a vengeance ten times over, as their vicious clippers shredded pair after pair of our boots, our waders, and the ankles of our pants. Even one of those good days turned to terror when the pot full of crawdads we brought home to boil alive erupted into flames on our stovetop. My mom will still swear to this day that this was an act of deliberate sabotage, that the crawdads found a way to fight back, to bring the war from the marsh to our doorstep. And neither she nor my dad will ever eat a shellfish again for fear of tampering or poison. Now, I believe that eventually the financial burden of constantly buying new boots and waders, along with the cost to repair the fire damage, broke my parents' will to continue. It was too hard for them to watch the comparatively easy, stratospheric rise of canned brim, canned catfish, and canned trout into the ranks of everyday household grocery staples. So my parents gave in, and they sold back their share of the company to the other founders, and the crawdad division was closed ignominiously. But. None of this is news to anybody who's familiar with my work in radio. Splinter Cliffs, yet again, as you all know, like Lincoln Square in Chicago or Germantown, Ohio, is well known for its German cultural attractions, from the regionally renowned collection of Nazarene movement art held at the Klothenspital Museum to the penchant many locals have for heavy beer consumption. As I've said many times, I consider the year I spent here a deeply formative one, and it would eventually inspire me to create and host my former program, Good Morning Germanica. But there's more to my story of Splinter Cliffs Island, something that I never shared when I was on the radio, and I'm going to share it with you tonight. More on that right after these words from our sponsors. Words from our sponsors? Can, can he do that in the middle of the show? Can he cut to sponsor copy? Hey, Monk, how do you think it's gone so far? Uh, good, Nick. Good. Okay, uh, well, here's the ad copy. Uh, this is, I highlighted your part down at the bottom, so we'll, we'll just run through this really quick here. We here at Radio Radio are so pleased to announce our newest sponsor, Safe Warm Sock Puppets. They sent Monk and me a couple of free pairs each, and we've been blown away by how much we love them. They're 100% cotton, comfortable, soft, and absorbent with a special antimicrobial odor-eliminating underlayer. They've got both quirky and classic designs for whatever look makes you feel your best, and we've been getting a really positive response when we do impromptu adaptations of classic dramas while wearing these sock puppets. People love it. And we put a little hat out, and once we get enough money, we're definitely going to buy more. Here's a little taste of the show we've been working on. Monk, why don't you take it away? Look. The moonlight shows us for what we really are. We are not among the living, and so we cannot die. But neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. For too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best to start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one! Enough said. If you want to put on great, reliable shows and wear them great, reliable, dare I say attractive, sock puppets, 
look no further than the safe form. They've got you covered. There's plenty of styles available for women and kids too, so they'd make a great gift. Best of all, use our code RADIO RADIO at checkout and you'll receive a free bonus puppet. That's an extra puppet at no charge to you with offer code RADIO RADIO. Bonus puppet may be cursed or home about your home at night. No purchase necessary. Please write to request free puppet. Ooh, that was great. They're definitely going to purchase more ad time. Okay. Oh, now I am going to chill. Nick, don't you need to go finish your set? Oh, oh, that's right. Okay, I'll be back in a minute. Uh, there's cash in my pocket if you want to grab yourself a beer. Hi again, it's me, Nick Gogol. Um, uh, okay, so like I said, I tell people I'm from Chicago, Illinois, but the truth is that when I was a kid, we moved around a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Splinter Cliffs Island wasn't the first time my parents got some idea into their heads, told me to pack my bags, and next thing I know I'm passing out sections of glacial rock to shivering tour groups in the Arctic, or getting apples shot off my head at a Renaissance Fair trick archery show. But when I was living on Splinter Cliffs Island, trudging through the halls of my middle school and soaking waiters in a novelty baseball uniform, that was when I met Elizabeth. Elizabeth moved around a lot too. Her dad was in the Army, Navy, and Air Force. Occasionally, we'd stumble across him in the marsh training, doing training exercises, covered head to toe in shrubs and grasses, and once cocooned in bark from a tree, disguising himself as a young, bald cypress sapling. We became friends, best friends. But about six months after I got to Splinter Cliffs Island, she received a cipher from her dad written in steam on the bathroom mirror at school that when decrypted let her know very gently that they would be moving again immediately. We were both used to this life by now, but I was distraught. In a matter of hours after she received the message, Elizabeth told me she would be gone, and she was right. For weeks I mourned and missed my best friend. My grades suffered. I became listless and withdrawn. My strongest feeling was anxious dread at the first hint of any surprise or change. Even the crawdads mostly let me be. I think they could sense that my heart had gone out of the fight. Two months passed, and then I received a letter. A short letter, just a few sentences, saying that she was well and that she missed me. And there was something else in the envelope. A small, tasteful, minimalist silver locket on a chain with a photo inside. The only photo of the two of us that exists, as far as I know. It was middle school, you know, and we didn't feel photogenic at the time, and our parents were too occupied with work to document our adolescence, and maybe we should consider ourselves lucky for that. A month or two after the note and the locket, I received a postcard. Every few months I would get one, never with a return address. I imagine that was because her dad's work required that that information about their whereabouts be kept secret. Eventually, though, the postcards became less frequent. Every six months, and then every year. Then I got one around Christmas a few years ago, and that was the last. No matter how many times my parents moved us around, or I switched apartments, for years those postcards would arrive like nothing had changed. And so, when I got a voicemail a couple of weeks ago, a strange, personal, bafflingly vague voicemail, I started racking my brain for who might have left it. And it wasn't long before I remembered Elizabeth. And so I thought maybe, maybe after all these years, she found herself back on Splinter Cliffs Island, and maybe she had thought of me. 
So here I am. And so I ask you out there in the audience tonight, I'm going to pass this locket out. Uh, if you could take a look at the picture inside, I mean, obviously it was about 15 or so years ago, but if you've noticed anyone on the island lately or if uh, Elizabeth happens to be in the crowd this evening, I would say, you know, I'm going to be sitting over at the table, you know, near the bar, but, you know, not at the bar with the, uh, you know, I've got a red jacket over there. Uh, I'm probably going to be drinking a beer. Uh, I'm sitting with a chipmunk. Just, you know, if you know anything, uh, just... You know, come come see me. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. All right, thanks, everybody. Have a great night. That was Nick Gogol, everybody. Nick Gogol uh, presenting his story on love, loss, life. We all have stories like these. You know, they say that every man is an island, but... What's more an island than Splinter Cliffs Island, which is literally an island. And so I think that, like with so many things, we should turn to the Earth not just for support, but for a lesson. Anyway, that will be our last performance of the evening. You know, we're open until 2 a.m. Hope you have a lovely rest of your night and drive safe. And we'll see you next time at the Splinter Cliff Story Spinner's Potluck Dinner and Raffle. Dispatch, this is Eggplant 149er. Talking to Talk Everlasting. Over.